Hi, this is Andrew Keane. Welcome to a special edition of Keen On, featuring an interview I did for my Regenerate show. Regenerate, fostering the transition to a regenerative economy. For more, go to regenerateforum.org. Enjoy. Welcome back to Regenerate, the show about the reinvention of the human condition and of human society in the context of the soil and the environment. Uh, we've spent a lot of time on this show for regular viewers trying to join the dots between society, the environment, philosophy, our history, and our future. Joel Salatin, Isabella Tree, Frederick Laloux, Nikki Silvestri, and many others are have helped us join those dots, but none of them, I think, quite have the, the erudite eclecticism of today's guest. Uh, many of you will know her because she is the author of The Chalice and the Blade, uh, which uh, is now in its 57th printing, quite an achievement. Her name, of course, is Rianne Eisler. She um, She's based in Carmel, California, and she's the author of, of many other books and many other ways of joining the dots about uh, the human condition. Uh, Rianne, uh, in The Chalice and the Braid, you argued that stripped to its essentials, the central human task is how to organize society to promote the survival of our species and the development of our unique potentials. A partnership society offers us a viable alternative. Uh, what, uh, Rianne, very briefly, are our unique potentials as a species? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a continuum uh, through evolution, of course. But we humans have uh, some enormously developed capacities for consciousness, uh, for caring and for creativity and as a matter of fact as uh, neuroscience is now showing um, we also have an enormous yearning for caring connection in fact the pleasure centers in our brain light up more of when we share and we care than when we win or control um, so for me, the question has been, since we know that our brains develop in interaction with our environments, and for humans, these are cultural environments primarily, uh, the question has been, what kinds of social structures, belief systems, values uh, support the expression of these positive human potentials or alternately inhibit those and instead, because we also have some very negative possibilities, uh, support our potentials uh, for insensitivity, for cruelty, for destructiveness. And that led me to this uh, domination partnership social scale, which, as you know, really transcends conventional thinking. 
conventional ways of looking at society. For one thing, because unlike conventional studies and unlike conventional social categories like right, left, religious, secular, Eastern, Western, Northern, Southern, socialist, capitalist. Uh, and by the way, there have been repressive, uh, oppressive, violent societies in every one of these categories. So none of them help us answer that question. But these, if we really think about it, these old categories actually either marginalize or completely ignore the majority of humanity, women and children. And looking at this larger picture makes it possible, well, to connect the dots. Well, you well, have you done have a done wonderful, wonderful job, job connecting, connecting those, those dots and, and challenging, I think, many of the assumptions of previous academics and scholars and generations of thinkers. In your 2007 book, The Real Wealth of Nations, which I'm assuming is a, in some ways a polemic against Adam Smith and the traditional business of economics and ec economists, you argue, you argue present economic systems, both capitalist and socialist, aren't solving our problems from chronic poverty and environmental devastation to the loss of good jobs. We have to start with basics. That's the real wealth of nations, isn't financial. It's the contribution of people and nature. Rianne, I want you to talk about not the contribution of people and nature in parallel, but together. What did you mean by that? And, and why is the real wealth of nations the contribution of people uh, in nature, shall we say? Well, I like, um, I like that phrasing, the contribution of people in nature, but I actually do mean both the contributions of people and of the life support systems of nature. And agreed, uh, you, you, at this level uh, of, of, of cultural and human evolution, you can't separate, you know, the human and and nature. Uh, what I mean is, well, let's back up for a moment. If you look at both socialism and capitalism, first of all, they came out of the 1700s and 1800s. And we're now in the 21st century post-industrial knowledge service age, instead of early industrial times, okay? So on that count alone, they would be antiquated. But it is much more than that. To begin with, uh, these economic theories, and theories are not something abstract, by the way, the way I use the term, because look, I mean, we live, we live by stories, by theories, okay? It's our worldview. But they leave out the three life-sustaining sectors of the economy, the natural economy, the volunteer community economy, and the household economy. Both Smith and Marx saw nature as just there to be exploited with unlimited growth. And also, there is nothing in them about caring for nature or caring for people starting early on. So we have really a an economic paradigm 
that needs to be changed. I'm not saying that we don't need markets, and I'm not saying that we don't need government policies. In fact, the COVID pandemic has shown that we need both, right? Um, you know, quite vividly. But the question is, what are the priorities? What are the values? And what is the culture? Because economic systems don't just arise in a vacuum. Like other social institutions, families, education, religion, politics, they're embedded in a culture. And if we use the partnership domination social scale, we see that both capitalism and socialism came out of times that still oriented more than today to the domination side. So uh, for uh, in terms of the, and it's man over man, man over woman, race over race, religion over religion, and man over nature, of course, that we're talking about. But in, in terms of leaving out these three really life-sustaining and most productive sectors, okay, if you really get down to basics, because we wouldn't have a market, we wouldn't have a government, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for those three sectors. Uh, that was really embedded in the worldview of that time. Uh, for one thing, it saw the work of caring for people starting in childhood, both Marx and Smith saw it as just reproductive, not productive. And why? Because in their time, it was supposed to be, as it still is in many world regions, to be done for free by women in a male-controlled household, so much so that when uh, even Marx wrote, in many places, even in the West, if a, if a woman was negligently injured, she could not sue for the injuries. Only her husband could for loss of her services. So obviously, there's a problem here. Obviously, Rianne, there is a problem. Indeed, that problem has been the core narrative in in our series. The problem is, as you so brilliantly conclude, the exploitative relationship we have both over one another and particularly over nature. Uh, I'm particularly struck by your bringing together of uh, the environment and gender. Um, is the today's what seems at least, or many of the people in, who have been on this show would agree, the environmental catastrophe, um, the destruction of the soil, the destruction of our environment, the destruction of our, our food system. Is it a consequence of, of that legacy, both from Smith and Marx, of the exploitation of nature, particularly the male exploitation? Well, first of all, domination systems go way back. And so do domination economics. Think of Chinese emperors, um, Arab sheiks, uh, Hindu pashas, um, uh, chieftains, you know, of tribes, right? That's domination economics. And it is indeed, and I know I'm digressing from your question a little, but I think we need to sort of set the context for my response. Uh, if you look at so-called neoliberalism or trickle-down economics, it's really, uh, what is it? It's, it's uh, domination economics, isn't it, where those on bottom are to content themselves 
as in feudal times, with the scraps dropping from the opulent tables of those on top. Uh, so I think if we look at economics from that perspective, we can get out of this really non-productive argument about markets versus government. We need both, okay? Now, uh, to your question, and maybe you'd like to repeat it, by the way, because I digress. <laughs> well, for, for our viewers, let me repeat it. Um, the show Regenerate is about our relationship with the soil, with agriculture. And many of the people who have been on the show have argued that the way to reinvent the human condition in, in the beginning of the 21st century is to, is to recreate our relationship with nature, with the environment, and particularly with the soil. So I'm particularly interested, given your eclecticism and given your academic reach, your interest in many of these subjects, to find out from you whether or not you see the soil and of perhaps the female relationship with the soil or perhaps the very female nature of the soil as being emblematic of our crisis and at the same time offering a wonderfully exciting route to figuring out the solutions to where we've gone wrong over the last couple of hundred years? Well, yes and no. I think that to only focus on harmony with nature, I, I, I spoke at a session uh, of the General Assembly of the United Nations called uh, Harmony with Nature, the government of Bolivia. Uh, and, and I made the point that you can't just tack on harmony with nature to a fundamentally imbalanced system. And I emphasize system. I mean, uh, I love your calling me eclectic. I think of myself more as a systems person because I look at the relationships, the interconnections between core elements of social systems, economic systems, family systems, etc. Uh, so while we certainly are in a mess, okay, I mean, uh, we are destroying our life-sustaining natural environment. And uh, we're doing it through many ways, you know, I mean, uh, I think I see two major factors, however, and as you said, they are related to gender. And we don't think of it that way. Why, I, if you really think about it, how are we socialized as humans, as girls or as boys, right? So gender is really a piece right there from the beginning. But I think that, uh, when I say a gendered system of values, caring, caregiving, nonviolence, they have been relegated in domination systems with their very rigid gender stereotypes, you know, where men, real masculinity is defined as not being like a woman, right? Uh, so they've been relegated to women who are, of course, have not supposed to have any say in policy, in governance, in decision-making, right? In domination systems. Uh, so uh, that hidden system of gendered values is really something that we have to uh, unpack, acknowledge, just to say that we should be nicer or we should farm more consciously 
or whatever, that, that's very nice, but it doesn't really get to the obstacle to the whole thing, does it? Which is that by definition, masculinity uh, is, this, is defined, has been defined as domination, exploitation, conquest, right? And real men cannot be like a woman. So if they are, they're sissies, they're wimps, they're effeminate, effeminate. Think about that. And women, and this is nothing to do with women against men or men against women, because we all know very caring men and very uncaring women. But it has a lot to do with the construction of gender in either a domination system or a partnership system. In partnership systems, and we see trends in this direction, we see more fluidity, don't we? We see men diapering babies, feeding babies. Uh, so let's talk about the soil now. Um, yes, uh, ancient, I mean, we've been told the wrong story, a false story about our cultural origins. For millennia, uh, we really uh, related uh, more in a partnership way. And for a long period in our prehistory, I deal with that, as you know, in the chalice and the blade and sacred pleasure. Um, really, as you said, the earth was seen as a female deity from whose womb all of life ensues, to whose womb all of life returns at death, to be once again reborn. And by the way, sacred pleasure deals with the old relationship between sexuality and spirituality from that perspective, because sex was a very important part of that ancient belief system. Uh, but it was a completely different way of looking at women and men. It was not a matriarchy. Think of our language, by the way, only offers us matriarchy or patriarchy, two sides of a domination coin, right? So we only have the possibility to either dominate or you're dominated. No partnership possibility. So, should, uh, Rianne, should we think of the soil in gender terms? Is that the solution or is that the problem? That is, I think, been the problem <laughs> that we think of Mother Earth, right? We still have that heritage, don't we? Um, and as I said, both Smith and Marx saw nature as their to be exploited, period. I mean, it's there for our use. And look, I mean, uh, nature, the veneration of nature also takes into account death and regeneration. It isn't all a pretty, you know, sort of picture. Um, but on the other hand, um, to destroy our natural life support systems, as we are systematically doing. And I said there were two factors. Uh, one is our technology at this level of technological development, and the other one is overpopulation. And I would say that they're both related to the gender system of values, because women really don't want to endlessly have children. But, you know, that has been the definition, hasn't it, of the good woman? You know, she's the mother and she has as many children. Uh, you know, this whole nonsense about not really 
thinking of family planning as integral to the environmental movement, okay? Uh, which it was at the beginning, by the way. And then, I don't know if you know the history, but a group of uh, people from the Catholic Church and from Muslim uh, conservative, conservative dominator, Muslim societies got together and said, oh, the family planning movement is a genocidal movement, right? Against dark people. And the left went for it. And to this day, despite what we know about overpopulation being a major issue, because it is a finite earth, for goodness sakes, you know, we don't have resources forever, um, it still plays. And it, 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 so it's all interwoven, is what I'm saying. It certainly, and, uh, and, and you're one of the, 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 the great, experts at, um, I won't use the word eclectic, but you're one of the great experts at unweaving or making sense of the complex weaved patterns. Uh, you brought up the issue of genocide, uh, Rianne. You are famously um, uh, a, a refugee from the Nazis. I think one of your earliest memories was your experience of Kristallnacht in, in, in Europe. You were lucky enough to, to get out of Nazi Germany. Given the way in which the fascists fetishize the earth and the soil, does that explain some of your ambivalence about the, the re-embrace of the soil and of agriculture? Well, I'm not saying that we should not really, I mean, regenerative farming and the reclamation of the understanding that we have to respect the earth are integral to partnership thinking, okay, to the partnership worldview. Um, I have never thought of it this way that I'm ambivalent about nature, but look, I mean, yes, how can one not be ambivalent about nature with the food chain? I mean, it's, it's not a pretty picture, right? Sp speak uh, more about your your ambivalence about the food chain. Explain what you mean by that. Well, um, in, in nature, uh, you have predators and predated. And that's just how it works. You know, the uh, lion eats the deer. Um, the uh, deer eats uh, the plants. I mean, it's just a food chain, right? It's an, it, 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 it is part of nature. But see, this is the thing. I, if, I've studied partnership societies. For example, uh, a contemporary, more partnership-oriented society are the Minangkabau of Sumatra. And their view of nature focuses on nature's nurturing capacity of the so-called life-giving uh, and that is something that's valued in both women and men, okay? Uh, rather than on presumably, and, and biology today, of course, is showing that evolution is not, you know, well, whether it's original sin or selfish genes, you know, it's the same story, isn't it? We're bad, we need to be controlled from the top. That's it. Wonderful domination story. Uh, what we're really finding out from biology is that actually sharing and caring 
are just as important, if not more important, in evolution uh, than uh, the so-called survival of the fittest, defined erroneously, by the way, as survival of the meanest. You know, that's social Darwinism. It is not Darwin. And my- Rianne, your uh, 2019 book, your latest book, Nurturing Our Humanity, How Domination and Partnership Shape Our Brains, Lives and Future, focuses indeed on this goal of partnership. Uh, and I'm curious as to what this partnership would look like in the natural world when it comes to the soil. We've had some guests on the show, um, Isabella Tree, for example, who rewilded her farm, allowed nature to sent- essentially invade the farm. Uh, is that a partnership or do we need to reconstruct our partnership with nature so that neither the human nor the natural world are dominant? Well, I think, obviously, I believe in the latter. Uh, I believe that, see, so much of what's happening is a critique, it's deconstruction. And my focus has, yes, of course I deconstruct, but I has been on reconstruction. And I, I love your using that term. And in order to know, you wouldn't build a house without knowing what the foundations are. Uh, so that it can rest on solid ground. And while most of the uh, progressive social movements, in fact, all of them really in modern history, have really challenged the same thing, one thing, a tradition of domination, you know, whether it was the divinely, so-called divinely ordained right of kings to rule, or the so-called divinely ordained right of men to rule, or the so-called divinely ordained uh, right of a particular race to rule over so-called inferior ones, all the way to the environmental movement, challenging our once hallowed conquest and domination of nature, we have not paid enough attention to four cornerstones that I've identified in my research and that many of us actually are working on changing from domination to partnership. Uh, you, I. The point that I really want to make before I go into the four cornerstones is that I don't think of our relationship with nature as something isolated from how we relate uh, in families, in communities, in our educational system, in our politics, okay? They are really all connected. I don't think... so. These these movements are all really part, movements towards the partnership side, aren't they? Uh, but these movements have paid scant, if any, attention to the foundations. And that's childhood, gender, you know, yes, the women's movement, but we marginalize it. You know, consider out of about 600 years of so-called modern Western science, uh, Only 50 years ago, did we even have women's studies, men's studies, gender studies, queer studies. And what was the origin of so-called modern science? As the historian of science, David Noble, writes in his wonderful book, by the way, A World Without Women, uh, and I would add a world without children, it came out of a celibate, uh, misogynist, clerical culture, didn't it? So 
women and children were are not part of the analysis. And I, I think that, as I said, I do not think of our relationship with nature, whether it is one, a respectful one, whether it is one that is not one of domination and exploitation. Uh, I, I don't think of it in isolation because as you said at the very beginning, uh, it is humans in nature, humans and nature. We if are nature part. could speak, Rianne, what do you think it would say to us? Well, I think it's saying it. <laughs> I mean, and, what, and what is it? What is it that it's saying? Well, we have uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, right? I mean, it's uh, pretty loud. Uh, well, the uh, assumption of many scientists is that a lot of that is because of what we are doing to our natural habitat, to our forests, to the areas where wildlife used to sort of not have that much contact, uh, you know, uh, 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 and, and be so stressed. Uh, it, we've got climate change. <laughs> I mean, that's loud and clear, isn't it? Uh, and I think that what we're seeing, what we're going to be seeing, uh, water, food shortages. I mean, nature is speaking to us, saying, "Hey, we're at a level where uh, the domination system is reaching its logical end. It's time to really, for a whole systems transformation." Rianne, let's end with some practical steps to end this domination, particularly when it comes to nature and the land. What do we need to do? Concrete things that can get us out of this catastrophic relationship we have, this dominant, this, this relationships of dominance and exploitation that we have with nature. Well, I make a distinction between short term and long term. In the short term, I mean, my gosh, simple things. Let's stop subsidizing fossil fuel industries, right? I mean, that, that's a very simple step. Uh, let's really, uh, whether we call it regenerative farming or organic farming. I mean, Do you distinguish are, between those two, regenerative and organic, or is regenerative sort of post-organic? Um, you know, I think that they sort of mesh to a very large extent. But that's in the short term. And I really want to say, as important as that is, unless we really think of these foundational things, of these four cornerstones, we will continue to have regressions and look at what Mr. Trump has done. I mean, for the fossil industry, for, I mean, it's, it's a disaster. So let me just quickly talk about the four cornerstones, if I may. I said childhood because yeah, we can change all through life. Neuroscience shows this, but it's really hard. So we know now that we're not born with fully formed brains, that our brains develop in interaction with our cultural environment as mediated through families, especially, uh, et cetera. Uh, so we also know that adverse childhood experiences, I mean, domination systems are really trauma factories, okay? and they inhibit our consciousness. I mean, why are people in denial about climate change? Uh, 
it starts very early, this denial. It starts in families where children are in domination families. I said, caring is co the confluence of caring and coercion is omnipresent. And so children learn to go into denial about the people who really cause them the pain, because how can you? You're dependent on them. And to instead scapegoat, you know, the outgroup that uh, some authority figure tells them is to blame for their problems, okay? Uh, we've got to change the way, and we know now about authoritative rather than authoritarian, nonviolent ways of parenting, of caregiving. Gender, we've already touched upon it, but I want to say that let's really pay attention to this gender system of values because in the uh, domination uh, mental template for difference, starting with the difference in form between the female form and the male form, where one is supposed to be superior, the other one inferior, one is supposed to dominate, the other one be dominated, one is supposed to be served and be serving. You've got a template that children internalize early on because we know that the first five years are really critical. For 85% of the brain structure is laid in the first five years, long before our critical faculties are formed. So it's a template for in-group versus out-group thinking. So it's not coincidental that whether it's Shia versus Sunni or Sunni versus Shia, or racism or anti-Semitism, it goes with a domination family and this gendered system of ranking one part of humanity over the other half. Uh, economics, we need to move. And this is essential towards a caring economics of partnerism. Uh, why? As I said, neither socialism nor capitalism uh, really deal with caring for either nature or for people starting at birth. And I, you know, I've written extensively about this and story and language. You know, uh, linguistic psychologists have long told us that the categories provided by our language channel our thinking so that it's almost impossible to think of other alternatives, which is why one of my colleagues uh, has called our conventional social categories, right, left, religious, secular, Eastern, Western, etc., weapons of mass distraction. They fragment our consciousness. We need, and, and, and we need new language. I've introduced lots of new language, including the distinction between hierarchies of domination and hierarchies of actualization because every society has to have parents, uh, teachers, leaders, managers, etc. Uh, so I don't, again, I will repeat this, as much as we need to, in the short term, change our approaches towards farming, towards nature, uh, in the longer term, that will not really be part of the system, because the system has basically uh, devalued caring, caring for people and caring for our natural life support systems. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season 
as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.